Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 10 of the Rugby Strength Coach podcast. This is Keir from RugbyStrengthCoach.com. In today's episode, we're joined by Ed Lee from Harlequin's uh, Strength and Conditioning staff in the Premiership. Thanks very much for taking part, Ed. Okay, no worries, mate. No worries. So, um, for people who are not familiar with you, do you want to kind of give them a little bit of insight into how you got to where you are in um, the Quinn setup? Yeah, no worries. Um, I would imagine 90% of people aren't familiar with me. So I'll have to do a long intro. Um, I, well, initially I um, started doing my internship with Quinns five years ago. So um, I actually probably had a, a weird path into SNC. I never wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach. Actually, throughout the whole of my, I went to a military school. So um, majority of my time, I just wanted to be a Royal Marine. Whether that was a good idea or not, I don't know. But I started the officer process, got injured actually in the officer process. I came out and they said, right rejoin in a year, find a job that will keep you fit and go from there. Started working at Fitness First and as, as we've chatted about before, it's who you know and the fitness manager there knew John Downs, head of performance at Quinn's. I had a meeting with him, kind of went in, I was most definitely the weakest candidate because I had absolutely zero fitness, um, fitness industry experience but I think he just... He must have liked me for some reason. You're so, a big fucker, though. <laughs> well, no, I was a skinny little boy back then. All right. Uh, I was like 85 kilos. Um, and, yeah, so then got an internship. Absolutely loved it. Didn't really. I, it was actually probably quite good because the internship at Quinn's is two, three months of, right, you earn your stripes, moving shit around, cleaning stuff up, which I, I think is decent for interns. Um, then they really throw you in at the deep end. Your first kind of coaching session will be a a full team warm up with all the boys. Anyway, so did a did a year full time there. Um, then went into two years uh, with Broncos, London Broncos. That was an interesting experience. Going into <laughs> a setup which was failing, and then a setup which carried on failing. Um, but we had maybe I think we had three head of S and Cs in two years. Wow. Um, yeah. So the turnover is different, and also obviously the boys never really get into a set pattern because they're just have different philosophies. So one one loved circuit training, one was a bodybuilder, one came from Gloucester. Um, and then from there, I kind of got given the opportunity from um, John Dams, uh, head of performance. He called me up and said, there's an opportunity going at Northland for the ITM in New Zealand. Yeah. And I just couldn't say no. I burned a lot of bridges at Broncos because I left um, towards the end of the season. But it, I, I just couldn't turn it down. The opportunity to go to New Zealand. Went out there for... The, pretty much the whole of the ITM came back and then got the job as Academy SNC at, um, at Harlequins. So yeah, so I've been there now since, well, pretty much this time last year, really. So did you did you have an academic background in strength and conditioning or sports science, or are you completely kind of on on the job training? So I did. I well, again, uh, from school I wanted to go straight into um, straight into the Marines, but my parents were pretty. They're quite old school, so they were like, "No, you're going to university." pick something you want to do so I just it was kind of a I did English and I did PE at school so I was like right I'll do sports science so I went to UIC and did sports science and sports coaching there um, and luckily I paid attention I was just gonna I was kind of gonna um, just shoot myself in the foot and go right fuck it I'm just gonna do this university thing to shut the parents up and then crack on but actually throughout the three years I listened I actually quite enjoyed it um, yeah. Played a lot of rugby, got involved with the SNC. So I kind of saying I went in completely, completely raw is probably a bit of a lie because I had a bit of exposure to it. But the 
there was no aspiration to be an SNC coach. So it was just, what was that experience? Was it you just training your friends and training with the guys, or were you actually going out there getting coaching opportunities with other athletes? Um, it was merely training guys and um, dabbling in and out of what we thought the whole German volume, seeing if that works. Um, I'm appalled to say I probably tried a CrossFit workout here and there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but we were actually also, we were really lucky that. Um, at Ewick, we had a, a centre called NIAC, so the National Indoor Athletic Centre. Yeah. And it had an amazing gym, and we had a real good SNC coach called Di Watts. Um, I've heard some really good things about Ewick, actually. Yeah, mate, yeah. I, I mean, actually, unfortunately, a year after I left, they then started offering an SNC qualification or um, course. Um, and now, actually, the gym that Quinn's work out at, we've got three or four of the SNC interns at the facility, so Surrey Sports Park. They're Ewick boys. So um, they're doing really good stuff there, and they're top they're top three rugby team in universities at the moment. So, um, but yeah, so it was it was really just kind of hit and miss. I can't I I'm, I think that's probably helped me a little bit because I tried so many different things that I actually realised I kind of ticked off the list what worked and what didn't work. Um, yeah, and you're not necessarily in that that mindset of you know, not to pick on them, but you know, UKSCA said this or EIS said this, and this is the way it's got to be done. You're kind of finding out for yeah. yourself whether it works or not. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, Di Watts from the SNC coach at our university, he was NSCA, so he didn't go through that whole UKSCA palaver. And, I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of the UKSCA because I think it's very much a, a money-driven corporation, but I'll get trolled for that. But... <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I've got the NSCA as well. But I, you know, in in fairness to to the UKCA, it's a lot more applied than the CSCS. You know, yeah. CSCS, you can you can rock up there having read Essentials of, of SNC, and you do two. I think it's two three hour multiple choice exams, yeah. and uh, you know you never touch a bar, and all of a sudden you're a, a certified specialist in strength and conditioning. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas with the UKCA one, you actually have to get under a bar and stuff like that. But I know what you mean. It's I think. Yeah. That's definitely if you don't do it their way, then you're you're not going to get the accreditation. Whereas yeah. I, I always think you should judge people on the results rather than than how they get them, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think in an industry where it's pretty much unless you want to work for the EIS, it's do you have a qualification? They're not going to kind of look at it and say, right, what did you do in this qualification? It's just tick a box. So I just thought, right, NSCA, I can get that done. And yeah, it's not as applied, but. Actually, who gives a fuck when... So, so you've got that one, have you? Yeah, yeah, I've got NSCA and CSES, so yeah. I've got that. haven't got the UKCA. Me I probably should come around to it because it's a lot of um, a lot of clubs these days, if everyone wanted to move on, actually quite like that. And there's more and more UKCA pretty much taking over the whole world. So, um, But you're assuming just, that when, uh, when they advertise for a job, they don't already know who they want? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, that's the issue, I mean. I mean, that's again with my, getting my job at Quinns. I was, well, I was told to apply for the job. So it's um, when you're when you're told to apply for the job, you'd be pretty annoyed if you didn't get it. So when I turned up and there were three or four other interviewers or interviewees there, you kind of think, well, hopefully they haven't been told to apply. And if they haven't, then it's a pretty pretty shit system. If you just well, that was um, that was actually the setup when I interviewed at uh, Sydney Roosters. Like yeah. there was, I think there was about a good week between um, me being interviewed and then me getting the job, and maybe maybe a little bit longer actually. 
And <laughs> what happened was I went to the interview and afterwards they said, oh, did you see that guy walking out before? I was like, yeah, he goes, oh, that's the guy that we want for the job. And I was like, fucking hell, <laughs> cheers for that. Jesus Christ. Yeah, but, you know, luckily enough, like, I think it's because I'd worked in an academy before. That, yeah. You know, that, that thing that used to go against me when I was earlier in my career that was like, oh, you, you know, you're an academy guy. That actually worked in my favor because I had so much academy experience up to them. But like yeah. you say, like, if you're, I, I, you know, I've been telling people lately that the, the moment you apply for a job like everyone else, it's you're off to a bad start like the best way to get a job or to get an interview or to get an internship is to be asked yeah you gotta it's mate, networking and getting to know people not just on a i'm friends with them on facebook type of thing but actually just chatting to them will be pretty much 90 percent of the way you're gonna get the jobs these days well oh, absolutely i mean how, how many uh how many applicants do you get for your internships at quince because obviously you're a big club well mate now well it's all kicking off now that now because we've um uh, we've taken on this sport nine four five. I, I, this sport with some numbers. It's basically a company that you pay them. Yeah, thousand. yeah, yeah. And mate, it's all going tits up over the internet about this. And it kind of the way they word it, it makes it look like Quinns have said, "You give us four thousand pounds, and you can do an internship with us." Actually, what happens is this: guys go to this company. Well, yeah. I'd never heard of this company before. Well, they've they've done stuff with uh, Sheffield Eagles and. Uh, Nottinghamshire cricket it started off with because it was it was Nick Ward and I'm, yeah. I'm guessing somebody associated with Notts cricket that started it. Yeah, so I mean, so we've we've actually got our interns through there, um, and so I, I don't actually know how many applicants. I know that for the jobs that went up last year, so for the sports science and then my role, there was absolutely shitloads. Yeah, um, because as you can imagine, there's not many jobs that just pop up especially on that UKSCA website where the jobs are out of date by about a year anyway so as soon as one goes up the same date people just jump all over it yeah um, and seeing one of the guys that I share an office in with the sports science guy his, he, there must have been three, four hundred applicants for that job yeah um, no doubt I feel like with that sport 981 thing I'm kind of I'm in two minds about it because obviously the, the thing that is going to get somebody a job is going to be practical experience and a track record and all that stuff. And, you yeah. know, if, if you're, if you're willing to put down a few grand to go and get it, then fair play to you. But like, yeah. I would say the analogy is like, what's got a bit more integrity. If you go on the X factor and you get a record deal that way, or, yeah. you know, if you get discovered singing in a pub somewhere, it's probably like, you know, when you're, when you go on the X factor, you're just part of somebody's business and, the, the quality of what you're putting out might not be as good because you're yeah. at the end of the day you're there to make somebody money whereas if you get discovered and, and go it alone you can kind of be a little bit more confident I think that you actually you are the perfect person for the job you're not just somebody who's coming you know check in hand yeah well mate I think I think the, the system that Quinn's go through works if you look at the guys that have come through maybe in the past like five or six years or since maybe the year before I did my internship you've got Gaz Tong did his internship. He's now head of S&C. You've got um, one guy from the internship the year after me. He's now head of S&C at Toro Rosso Racing. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> pretty much every single, apart from John Dam's head of performance, all of the staff at Harlequins did their internship at Harlequins. That's great. Um, it shows you've got a great system of developing coaches. Yeah, mate. Or we all just get on and we don't want to make any friends outside. Or more importantly, um, people want to stay there because, you know, yeah, we, we talked a little bit. Oh, sorry, it wasn't. I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to um, 
Ian McKeown from from Port Adelaide on the phone earlier, yeah. and we were talking about he's just signed like a quite a long contract to stay in his job, and you know that was quite quite rare for SNC. And he said, well, you know, at the end of the day, the head coach has signed for this amount of time, the performance director signed for this amount of time, and he said we're trying to build a culture. And we're trying to move towards a, a, a big goal. And to do that, you need members of staff who are on board and who are happy to be there and right. who are looked after. And the, the, the two examples that I said of kind of like opposite ends of the spectrum within rugby, one is like London Wasps. Like I left there and I think since I started there nearly five years ago, they've gone through two complete teams of S&C coaches. And at the other end of the spectrum, you've got somewhere like maybe Quinns or you know Northampton. Like that S&C staff has been in place for nearly a decade. And they get yeah, really I mean, well looked after, and they they win the league. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, Damsey's been there now. So I had a performance has been there ten years. Gaz has been there eight years. So it's um, uh, well, whether or not it works is a different thing. But at least the guys above them and all the players believe in it. Yeah. So well, you guys um, got a premiership out of it, so you could say it works. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, yeah, hopefully we're quite lucky. We're quite blessed. We've got different. Um, Different thought processes and different philosophies within our within our team. It's not all just kind of we're not all lemmings following the same path. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, for example, we got one of our S and C coaches, Adam Bishop, is out competing in the world's strongest man at the moment. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. So mate, that's that's a nice string to the bow, I guess. You you guys must be the strongest strength and conditioning staff in the Premiership because I know you're a beast. You got this guy at the world's strongest man, and John Dans yeah. is a beast as well in the gym, from what I hear. Like Gaz, yeah, Gaz Tong is fucking strong as well. He's he's not he's not small. And then um, <laughs> it, it tends to be an internship process as well. That if you come in, you now have to train with Bish for for the whole year. You, just, you don't get away. You just got to deal with his squat, bench, deadlift every single week, twenty times a week. I like then, it. <laughs> uh, he, he wanted the interview process to be let's see them squat. Yeah, but that didn't go down too well with Sport Nine Eight One. So, um, you, like, it's quite rare that you ha- you have S and C coaches who've worked in different countries, and obviously you've got the experience in um, in New Zealand. What yeah. were the what were the biggest differences that you noticed from those two different working environments, and what what good things did you take away from that experience? Um, I think the main the main thing about New Zealand is that they are just so passionate about rugby, and it's um, it's the equivalent of football over here. So every single opportunity the guys get, they play rugby. Now, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'm not too sure. But they they wanted to succeed, so they listened to everything you say. There wasn't, they didn't really have a fallback option because in Northland it was a fairly poor area. So it was right, let's play rugby. That's going to be my first option. So we had everybody turning up to S and C sessions, everybody doing what they want to do, um, and everybody trying as hard as they can. So you didn't actually need a lot of buy-in, which was fantastic. Maybe one thing that was letting them down was the actual the processes that they were going through. They had a at Northern, they had an S head of S and C coach that was really pushing to get things in place. But I don't know whether the actual top coaches were too keen to bring on the like the GPS unit. We had four GPS units for the whole team, so it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't the most money-driven yeah. environment, but. I mean, I, I would say most definitely it's the guys that they just their passion, their overwhelming passion for the game. And it sounds cheesy as fuck, but if you if you don't have passion for the game, you're not going to try hard in all areas. 
and especially with Polynesians that are, or Islanders that tend not to be, I could get in trouble here, tend not to be the most hardworking people in the world. If, there's if a, there's they, a few like that, I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if rugby's their only route, then they're going to try hard in all aspects. So it made my life a lot easier. Yeah. What, what do you think about the... Um, I've heard some people remark about the running volume uh, that they have in New Zealand. Was was that an issue for you, or were they were they okay with that? Well, because we didn't have many GPS units, the actual getting the data and actually getting a, a large amount of data to turn around to the coaches and say, look, this volume's stupid high, was actually quite hard. Yeah. One thing that they did do, which they loved out there, was their conditioning games. Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard you talk about it before. I'm not the biggest fan of it, um, especially if you've got a long way to develop. Oh, if yeah, yeah. If your team's got a lot of fitness issues, doing conditioning games is, in my view, not the smartest way to go about things. Everybody has different views, and that's fine. But my, if you, I'm a big believer in working the two ends of the spectrum. So yeah, get real quick, get real fit, and then every so often dabble in that middle area with the conditioning games. Let them learn how to use their fitness. Um, Mate, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Like you know, if if we do use them now, or if I, if I use them with my guys now, it's it's because we want them to fully realise the developments that we've got in previous phases. Like, there's a big yeah. difference between expressing an ability and developing one, and I think small cyber games is more about the expression of an ability. Yeah, mate, hundred percent agree with you there. So, were there were there differences at all in how they they train weights, or was it mostly just the the difference in the culture? Um, yeah, mate, weight, weights was as you, as you can imagine, the intensity on the fields crazy. So they actually brought that into the weight room, which I wasn't a big fan of. I quite like separating the two. And so there was a lot of circuits. It was very much the kind of they had things called strength circuits. Now, a bit of a contradiction for both, really, to be honest. But they would, um, the loads really weren't heavy enough that they were lifting, going to make any strength gains. But they liked the intensity. The, the coach's office was pretty much next to the gym, so they could see the, the players working hard. <laughs> so it was, it was, it was very much their kind of. They had a mongrel attitude, so it was let's work really hard, let's beast the fuck out of them. Um, and then that's got to be good for rugby because in rugby they look tired, so if they look tired here, then fantastic. Yeah. Um, uh, having said that, when I went in, I saw a couple of sessions, chatted to the head of SNC, managed to actually get hold of the academy and then the injured guys. And I think, well, I could be wrong, but I think they kind of changed their views a little bit, started implementing a little bit more. Um, lower level intensity stuff in the gym so actually treating their work sets as work sets rather than just having 30 seconds between sets and blasting through and trying to get in and out in 20 minutes so just by you you kind of took that opportunity for yourself to train the, the younger guys and the injured guys and you think that they maybe maybe took away from that and, and changed what they were doing in the senior setup yeah well yeah I hope so I could be being overly arrogant but I'd like to th- I saw a change and I'd like to think that was a little bit down to me um, but I've actually since I've got really good friends with the head of SNC and he's he he loves to hear what we're doing at Quinns and what what I kind of think of things. Um, that's probably coming across as really arrogant, but I, I think um, I think I helped in some way. Um, yeah, to change uh, changing their ways. I mean, I, I went out there thinking actually, if I'm going to bite my tongue, I'm going to get fucking nothing out of this. So I may as well speak up and say what I think. So, Absolutely, yeah. So you're you're back at Quinns now. You yep. work primarily with academy, and that you also assist with the first team. Is that right? 
Yeah, so I help out a little bit at first. I would never say I'm an assistant, but I, if, if there needs to be a session covered, I'll, I'll cover that. We're, we're blessed with a lot of S&C coaches at Quint. So um, pre-season, I help a lot. And then through the season, because we've got so many academy players, I'm pretty much my time is taken up with them. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, uh, my main role really is looking after the, the three or four guys that are going to get contracts next year. And making sure they're ready for that step up that we were chatting about earlier. Yeah. Uh, when they come in, so they don't just completely break down in that first week of preseason. So the, these are full time guys who are contracted, but they're not actually ready to play first team rugby yet. Um, well, actually, no. So we got uh, we have a senior academy. So we've got nineteen to twenty one years old, and they're they're fresh out of school. They're given to loan clubs. They're not they're not at school anymore. They're given to loan clubs. They will play a bit of A League. Um, but the majority of their time they'll spend at loan clubs, but they'll still train with the first team. And then we have the elite player development group who are the under 18, so they're in their their top year at school, Um, and they are still playing school rugby, Quinns rugby, England under 18s, which is a mission in itself because they're playing a stupid amount of games, so they're actually trying to develop them in any physical capacity is, is pretty tough. So. So with those um, with those senior academy guys, we kind of talked about you know getting them ready to the point where they are able to play adult premiership rugby. Yeah, is that for you just a case of time allowing them to develop and get better at playing the game, or are you actually going to take a different approach in the physical preparation side of things to bring them up to that point as soon as possible? I mean, I I think it's very much they need to get used to playing men's rugby. Yeah, because they're because of our catchment area. We have, I'd say, 90, 95% of our schools are private boarding schools. So they never, ever play club rugby. They never get the opportunity, really, to play men's rugby. So they come from uh, probably being the best schools around, so they're beating teams quite easily. Not the most physical games. Uh, we GPS a couple of them, and it's the, the metres are crazy high, especially for our top guys, because, as, as you full well know, if you're a really, really good player at school, you're probably in the in the minority, so you do a lot of running. And every so time just, you make a break, you, you're going to score a try, so you're getting a lot of metres that yeah, way. Exactly. So, I mean, I would I would take the approach of giving them, say, look, you're going to be in our senior academy for three years. We're, we'll play you loan club. that We don't really mind about how you do, because it's a development. If you, you're probably at first year of men's rugby, unless you're something special, you're not really going to stand out. That's my view, anyway. Um, and then we're just going to build your base so we're going to get you fucking strong uh, make sure you don't break down we'll take the time, we'll give you weeks off um, and let's get your nutrition included and then after that three years, if you're not there then maybe you're not ready for it but then hopefully by the end of the three years it's pretty much on us as S&C coaches if they're not ready Yeah, um, mate it's funny you should say that um, you know you talk about guys that first year of men's rugby I remember it was my second year of, of strength and conditioning after my internship. I was an assistant at L- uh, London Scottish, which at the time was a partner club for London Wasps. And one week, uh, Elliot Daly got loaned out to Scottish for a game. And then in that game, he stepped three people, gassed somebody around the outside and scored a try. And then he never came back. That was it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you always have those anomalies, don't you? Yeah, he got promoted straight away. And now I suppose they've been vindicated in that decision. He's done all right. Um, <laughs> So I'm curious. Just uh, obviously, I've I've been in the situation that you're in, as a, you know, an academy SNC. What challenges do you face in in Quinns with 
you know, training the academy boys, like, for example, you know, there are private schools. How do you, how do you liaise with the staff there? What do you do about not being able to see boys? What do you do about them developing at different rates and so on? Yeah, so that's, that is actually the hardest thing I face is um, because each coach, when they get a hold of the guys, will go as hard as they fucking can. So you got, if they go school rugby, they'll push them hard and hard and hard. If they come to Quinns, it will be, they see them once. Our guys come in one evening a week, so it's, they're not going to fuck around. They go as hard as they can. This is in rugby. Um, and they're county, and then they're playing Wednesday and Saturday. So actually, the main issue for us is looking at the players and going, is it beneficial for us to do exactly what we planned? Is it beneficial for us to do a top-end speed work and strength work on a Monday evening when they've got a fucking massive week ahead of them? Yeah. Um, so we're building relationships with the S&C coaches at schools because, again, we're blessed that majority of the private schools around our area have S&C coaches. So building relationships with them to make sure that they're, they're kind of following our pathway. We don't, we don't want the coaches to follow our kind of our philosophy for all their players but just so long as the guys that we're looking after and we're investing time in when we're not with them we kind of we're safe in the thought that the SNC coaches at the schools are developing the way developing the players in the ways that we want yeah Um, so one thing we did do which um, I think worked really well is we held a CPD day for the guys and we just um, offered to all the SNC coaches at the schools that we had players at so look come in not going to cost you anything you come in have a we'll chat to you for a day we'll run you through what we do because again there's a million ways of doing stuff this is just how we do it yeah um, so hopefully when we do send our guys out because schools see them 90 percent of the time we see them 10 of the time when we send them out we're kind of the, the coaches know what we want we know what we want and it's kind of a nice little circle that hopefully isn't going to be broken um but definitely the contact time is our, our biggest issue. Yeah. We're now going into next year, we're the only club not to have an ACER college. Um, so we don't, we see the guys once, maybe twice a week. So, and I think it's the that. same, the same thing at London Wasps. Like with, you mentioned the, the apprenticeship team that runs alongside yeah. the EPDG. If, if you look at most clubs outside of London, they have their strongest players in that apprenticeship college team because it's an intensive program. Yeah. You see the boys every single day and, you know, if you look at the England team now, more and more and more percentages of players are coming from those teams rather than EPDGs and private schools. But I'm guessing the same is true, well, it's obviously true for you guys and the same is true at Wasps, that because you've got schools like Harrow and Eton and St Paul's and all that, they've got such attractive packages they can offer players. Like our best players by far were in um, the EPDG, like uh, Billy Vonopola, Christian Wade, um, Jack Wallace, Tom Wallace, all those guys had come through the EPDG. And I think it was only this year that um, the Wasps Ace program, in all of its years, got a premiership start. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, the other other issue is that when the guys go there, the majority of them have sports scholarships. So if you're a full sports scholarship, you have 110% off your fees or whatever it is, they're, they're expected to play. So when the guys get injured, it's, right, we need him back. Can we get him back in a week's time? Like, no, he's got a fucking ACL injury. What are you doing? Yeah. And then be like, I don't care. He's on scholarship. He's expected to play. So that's one of our – having to build relationships so that they trust us when we say, look, we will sort it out. Don't rush him back. I mean, national, the, the national uh, Rosalind Park Sevens was our big 
kind of fucking worry because we had three or four players that were playing for the top schools that were maybe two, three weeks out of um, returning to play. But Roslyn Park was the week after we were kind of in that situation. So we were like, fuck, yeah, they might be able to get away with it. Yeah. In a sense, it's not our call. I can never turn around to a school coach and say, Joe Bloggs isn't playing. He'd go, yeah, do one. He's my boy. I'm going to pick him. <laughs> so, yeah, so, like, this year's been tough because we're, we're building relationships and making sure they trust us. The other the other issue is that it's not just Quinns in the school. There's yeah. Wasps, London Irish. So there's four or five different views from different premiership rugby clubs within that setup. So it's it must be quite tough for the directors of rugby because they're hearing different views, different thoughts every single time. Very and then true, if, yeah. if they hit one that they like, then they might roll with that for a while. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, how are you training at the moment? Because you put up a video the other day. It was disgusting. I think it was 145 kilo bench for five reps. Like that's <laughs> that's proper fucking strong. How how do you train? Um, yeah, no, I'm tra- I'm training at the moment. The UK bench press comp, um, uh, the championship in November of Woking. So sat down. If you have a world's strongest man in your SNC team, you may as well use him. Um, sat down with him and organised my training. So if I can stay at 100 kilos body weight and bench 195 for one, then I would have got the record for raw and obviously no juice. So um, that's kind of my focus at the moment, me personally. So I'll, I just train three times a week. So I found that if I, I used to train every single day and I just go in and not really do anything with any kind of real enthusiasm. So I just pulled it back to Monday, Wednesday, Friday, bench Monday and Friday, and then deadlift on a Wednesday. So it's, and then just shit because of it. It's got some weird obsession with chin-ups, so <laughs> maybe two, three hundred a day. Three um, hundred chin-ups a day? It's, it's kind of got a bit sexual. Yeah, mate, actually, when I went to New Zealand, which is, I, again, I wouldn't recommend this to anybody, but I went there and I did 50 chins on the first. So I was there for seven months, 50 chins on the first day, and I just added 25 reps every single day. And that was pretty much all I did because it was we just had such a busy schedule. So by the end, I think I lasted like seven hundred ninety chins in a day. Um, wow! I was so I was so conditioned to it that it, I didn't get any soreness at all. Um, but I, from then on, I think I just had a weird relationship with chin ups. I don't know. I no <laughs> idea where it came from. Do you do uh, Do you do a lot of squatting? Uh, I do a bit of squatting. I don't enjoy it, so I don't I don't do it a lot. I do it. Merely because I just get bullied at work. I much prefer deadlifting. So I'll deadlift and I'm at the point where I think if I don't want to squat, I'm not I'm not training for any sport in particular. I would, I would all of my players squat. So I'm not anti squat. I just I get bored of the lift and I'd much rather use my time doing stuff that I enjoy. Um, I'm gonna when the guys listen to Sequins, I'm gonna absolutely rinse, but yeah. <laughs> so what um what are these like major training lessons that you've taken away from from, so it was Adam Bishop? Yeah, Adam Bishop. So I'd say the, the three guys that really kind of influenced me were the guys at Quinns. So John Dams, Gaz Tong and Adam Bishop. They just, they're, they're all kind of thinking in the same way. Bish is just, his knowledge about strength training is just stupid. So, What, um, what, what big things have you changed, would you say, since, since coming into that environment? Um, knowing when to pull back. Probably, um, I was going to say pull out then, but that would have been <laughs> knowing knowing when 
to, to pull back, actually, is the, it's probably the biggest thing. I was just sitting, sitting down with some of the, the SSC coaches and saying, look, I'm having massive issues. I really want to um, push these guys here and push this guy there. And actually, I'll take a step back. The guys are going to appreciate it more when you actually go to them and say, look, I can see you're looking tired. We're going to pull training back a little bit. We'll push you here. Um, again, it comes down to relationships. So being able to chat openly with the rugby coaches and say, look, there's three or four games here in their school calendar that doesn't don't have any real effect. Yeah. They're going to be games you're going to win 80 nil, whether you have this guy involved or not. So let's really push that period with S&C. And then when you've got a couple of big games coming up, um, we can pull it back a little bit. So actually knowing when to push and pull and um, throw your ideas out there and actually bite your tongue a little bit. That's probably the biggest thing I've learned. Are you, are you going by are you going by feel on that, or are you using some kind of monitoring or tracking of the load that you can go to the coaches with numbers? Yeah, well, so we do a well being questionnaire every every Monday that all of our EPDG. So we have thirty five forty kids email in, um, and it's just done on um, sleep soreness, um, any previous injuries, um, game days, uh, game minutes, sorry, and how many games they've played over that week. Sorry, the previous week, so that when they come in, they have to email it in by, sorry, by Monday lunchtime, so that when they see us Monday evening, we kind of have a, a rough feel of where they are. It's um, it's not obviously ideal because we don't see them regularly, but yeah. with our top guys, so we have ten. Our our is split into gold, silver, and bronze, um, and the gold guys we have about ten, ten or so in there, and I monitor them and speak to them every single day, and it is because we don't have the the um, the resources for that age group. It is very much. I will I will chat to them, see how they feel. We'll do some, maybe do a um, a jump test here and there, or some grip strength to see how the CNS is. But nothing. It's, it's disappointingly not too much, uh, not too scientific. It's very much done on feel and done on my relationship with the guys and knowing actually if they're saying they're tired, whether they are actually tired or they know that a tough session's coming up. Yeah, and I suppose in a way, all of those measures exist to prompt the kind of conversation that you're already having with your players because it's it's meaningless unless you actually are able to make changes to the program. And to do that, you have to speak to the players and speak to the coaches. So I think yeah, if, you, I mean, if you're really the, on top of that, of you things, don't need it. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I'm pretty big on is actually building relationships with the guys and being able to coach them. I, my, one of my big pet hates is having guys come in as SNC coaches that are qualified up to their ears but you put them in front of 30 lads that give them a tiny bit of chat they just shit themselves yeah. and I'm just I'd much prefer to take a guy with less qualifications but can just control a room the players listen to him when he talks than somebody that has been in a lab for two years um, just testing all sorts but actually has no application to it or doing their snatches with a broomstick yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's imagine, right? I'm a 13-year-old rugby player and yeah. I'm coming to my first day of EPDG. What are you going to do day one with me? Mate, I, I, one thing that I'm, I'm big on is just seeing if somebody can just move. If they can, just the really easy things, so the travelling skills, whether you can, in terms of on-the-field stuff, I think seeing how somebody runs, somebody steps, somebody changes direction, that that can actually show you or kind of, um, yeah, show you the direction they're going to go, whether it's in the gym or in rugby. So one of the 
programs that we have at the moment is an inner London program where the 13 year olds from the inner London, so not actually they're they're not at private schools, they haven't had the greatest back, uh, bring, um, background, sorry. Yeah. So they come in and we literally get them to do real simple things like they're going to jog backwards and I blow the whistle, they're going to turn around and run off. Yeah. Now you get some guys that will just flatten their ass, some guys that will look really good when they turn around. Other stuff like one-on-one where they just, let's see how somebody moves and gets past so-and-so. And then once we can say, actually, yeah, he moves really well, I would get, I'd put a lot of money on the fact that if you show him a squat and then you show somebody that moves retardedly a squat, they're going to, you could obviously, it's going to be following the same pattern. The guy that moves well on the pitch is going to move well in the gym. Yeah. Um, so if you if you came into our setup, um, we do a lot of bodyweight stuff first just to, just to build confidence. I'm just a, I'm a big fan of making sure somebody's confident in the environment they're in. I don't, I'm not going to push somebody if they're at that age, and don't get me wrong, if they're 18, 19, and they're not confident, then there's going to be an issue there. But um, with 13, 14-year-olds, if there's no confidence there, they're not going to really buy into the program. So start them slow. We're in no rush at all. Build a massive base. So just make sure their um, their skill literacy is there so they can do all the movements we want. We might not not necessarily use all the movements, but if they can perform these motor skills, that's only going to be another string to their bow. You want it in so the toolbox in effect. Ex- so, yeah, they'll just come in and experience loads of different movements. And, and it, it's not CrossFit style. It's not like, oh, this week we're going to do that, this week we'll do that. There is a, right, we'll focus on this movement for... Um, for two, three weeks and then integrate that into a little mini circuit and then we'll move this next exercise on and then integrate that. So by actually, by the end of this year, we've got our 14-year-olds. When they come in, they will squat, dead, bench, clean, military press, not to any stupid stupid amount, but just they can come in and we can say, right, you're going to hang clean there, you're going to do this complex and 90% of them are competent at it. So you're, you're going to bring that so in basically within year one? With it, sorry, say that again. I said, are you, are you going to bring that, you know, all of those compound lifts that you talked about, the big movements, you want those in place by end of year one? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. And um, then... They and don't then, have to be, we don't have any strength standards, um, but as long as they can do them, that's that's my job done in terms of if somebody feels confident about deadlifting, you know, if they look good, then I feel I've done a good job, especially with that, you know, those younger age groups, yeah. And then basically you're looking for for the rest of the program, 15, 16, 17, all the way up to senior. You're just looking to add uh, load to the bar in those big movements. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So by the time they get to 18, they're, they're hitting the standards we want. We have individual standards and they're, they're shifting some serious weight. I mean, we've, we've got some pretty strong lads at the moment coming through. And I think I have a feeling that's down to them having a really good base from a young age. Um, and actually being keen. You, you see, the guys that come in once, twice a week are the guys that, by 18, have such a good base and such a good um, skill literacy that there's pretty much no movements they can't do. Yeah. Do you do you do a lot of speed yeah. or agility work with the guys that you have, or is it because you have limited time and resources that it's pretty much you just get them in the gym and then you hope that you're covering all your bases from that? We do a lot. So we get them for about an hour, hour and a half on a Monday, and we just split them half and half. So 40 minutes, you'll go and do speed stuff, um, and it's very 
um, with they get drills done and then they get efforts done and then after the 40 minutes they come in um, this is with the, the 16 to 18 year olds they don't they then will come in and um, do a gym session because the first and the whole, actually the whole process of wins um, are big on speed work big technical ability whether it's efforts whatever it is it, rugby if you're quick you're going to be good at some point where there's where if you're going to take a 100 kilo guy that's rapid or a 100 kilo guy that's slow you're going to take the quick guy um, so we, we put a big emphasis on speed work again the time period that we have isn't necessarily ideal but we do what we can with the time that we have would you say that speed is something that you're looking to identify as early as possible uh, with your young athletes like in terms of like a, a talent ID yeah I mean uh, maybe necessarily not in those when we go out 13, 14 year olds, we found that actually, weirdly, we took the speed gates for the first part of the season and the guys didn't do too well because the, the youngsters there, if we had like 40 guys maybe come to do speed speed testing, some guys would do really well because they like that competition. Some guys are a little bit scared of it because they're like, oh shit, who's going to find out if I'm crap or not? Um, and then some other guys just don't try at all because they think, well, um, everyone's going to ask what my time is, and I'm not going to be the best. So we've actually we don't have any numbers in place at the moment, really. Um, I would like to, but at the moment it's very much kind of we put them in situations where it might be a one-on-one, but we expose them to that maximal effort in the in the environment that they're in. Got you. Um, so we we do a lot, a lot of drills, a lot of technique work, um, and then we will expose them to the top end work at the end of the session, but we don't rely on that and we don't actually look back on it and say oh so and so got this or so and so got that it's very much um, let's expose them to a bit of a top end work but it's not the be all and end all at 13 14 I don't know what you think but that's that's my view well I agree absolutely because you have to consider as well that developmentally they're all over the shop and as as their bodies change their coordination is going to change as well you can see wild fluctuations in performance but kind of what I was getting at was do you think there's certain movements or or exercises that you can just kind of look at a kid at 13 and 14 and say, yeah, you know what, he's got the potential to be a professional rugby player? Because, you know, speaking from my own experience, when we used to test guys on their, their first day in the gym, it always struck me that the most talented athletes seem to be the best at um, chin-ups for, for reps at body weight and also the, the broad jump. Like, I always thought if you get a young kid who could really handle their body weight and just jump out the gym, then then physically you could work with them. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with you with the chin-ups. I've said earlier I've got a weird obsession with chin-ups, but they, um, as a 13-year-old, if you can rep out on chins, that's, I would say that's quite rare these days, because um, especially with the, if you get a big guy that can deal with his body weight, then that's, um, that's going to be quite a unique thing to have. But I, I wouldn't actually necessarily say that I have an exercise that I look at and go, yeah, you know what, that guy's going to be decent. I mean, if they can squat well, then that's a plus point. A lot of I find a lot of the kids actually are so jacked up in their hips from being at school all day that they don't actually get the decent. They don't have decent squat mechanics. So that's one thing that I'm kind of dealing with at the moment. Is I didn't I didn't actually really think it would have that much of an effect somebody being at school all day. But when they come in and they've got an hour with us, we do a little bit of mobility, then go straight to squatting, and you actually think, fuck, these guys have been sat down for seven, eight hours, or however long they have been, they're just completely jacked up in the hips. Yeah. Um, so are you you're quite big on mobility, even with young athletes? Yeah, uh, maybe. I mean, 
I'd expect the young athletes to be quite mobile, but as long as by the time that they're 16, 17, they can come in and they're confident enough that I would say, right, 15 minutes, work on an area that's tight or that's giving you a bit of jit, and they know how to look for it and what to look for. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm fairly big on that. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a be all and end all, but um, we, you can probably see a, a trade running through here, getting, giving them confidence, moving them through. Um, so as long as they know what to look for and how to look for it within the mobility environment, then that's, I'm, I'm happy with that. So you're, you're quite big on the, the player education aspect of it. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm massively into an educated athlete's a better athlete. They don't have to know everything and I don't expect them to know everything. Totally agree. As long as, yeah. as long as they kind of know the processes they're going for, because a lot of guys believe that they can play for England, but they don't necessarily believe in the steps that they're taking to get there. So if we can if we can educate them and just uh, it goes back to confidence at the end of the day if they're like actually I know why I'm doing this and I know that this is helping me not necessarily this, they're saying I, if I squat 100 kilos I can go and play rugby professionally I don't that's not what I'm looking for I'm just looking for somebody to buy into the program and if that's through educating them on why we're doing stuff then brilliant and hopefully get you know get a bit more buy in and a, a bit more dedication yeah. to it as a result. Yeah, and as, as I said earlier, they're thrown all over the shop at 16 to 18, so they're having so much input from so many different coaches that um, they're, they're probably struggling to buy into lots of different processes. So if they can buy into ours, then fantastic. So let's uh, let's change it up a little bit now. Who do you listen to in the industry and why? Um, I'm a big fan of Jim Wendler. He's, I like his I like his simplistic view on stuff. I like his view on um, add loads of bar, you're going to get strong. You don't necessarily need to do shit loads of reps left, right, and centre. You don't need to be the most scientific dude in the world. Um, and it plays it plays to my my stronger side. I'm not the most scientific guy in the world, um, and I I would never pretend to be. Um, so I I probably go with that with him. I also listen to this. I don't want to blow your trumpet. I've, Obviously, read a lot of your stuff. I like the way you think. Um, and then, guy that I've listened to recently is Ben Rosenblatt. I'd actually never really been exposed to him um, before, but I just saw his um, his chat or his presentation called "Injuries or Opportunities," and I just love the way that he kind of he put the emphasis on the athletes to really get involved with their injury process and take charge of it and realise that it's not a step back. It is you can actually move forward with your injury and actually get stronger and um, you develop as a, an athlete whilst you're injured it's not a time for dwelling on negatives it's a time for pushing forward so he's he's one guy that recently I've been reading and listening to um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of podcasts so I'll just I kind of haul myself out to listening to lots of different podcasts and just getting a view of loads of different people which which ones do you listen to um, I've actually currently started listening to Pacey Performance that's a good one very attractive um, guests on there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Pacey performance. Um, I've, I've dabbled in a lot of different stuff. So it's, um, I actually listened to Barbell Shrugged a little bit. I know that's CrossFitty, but they have some, they had Jim Wendler on there the other day. Um, they had John Bros on there. Wasn't a big fan of that podcast. I mean, it wasn't, it was, um, that seemed a bit kind of hit and miss throwing. Yeah. I'll tell you the thing about John Bros for me is that, he puts up all these videos of his guys doing, you know, like world-class lifts in the gym, but then he kind of, they never kind of produce on the, on the big stage. 
which is either you know either they're doped up or he's just you know, there's something missing about the program. Like if you look at someone like you know obviously I, people abuse me or you know criticize me for not being a fan of Olympic weightlifting for rugby, but I I really like Olympic weightlifting as a sport and follow it. If you look at someone yeah. like Ilya Ilin, he's one of those guys like he always performs at his best at a major championship and that's like that seems to be the missing piece of his his programs for John Bros. Yeah. I mean I think people going back to your point about people giving you shit about Olympic lifting and that type of stuff. It's um I think people just don't understand the the fact that just because you're not a fan of them doesn't necessarily mean you can't appreciate them. It's it's just doesn't that those movements might might not fit in your program at that time. Yeah. It's um get most bang for buck at the moment when you're doing it and if teaching a guy how to clean for six weeks that's maybe not beneficial to your program if you've got a 12 week period where you need to develop a guy absolutely yeah. I wish I could move like an Olympic lifter <laughs> oh it's like yeah they're flexible as shit and they're strong so <laughs> yeah. I'm, just, I'm just jealous so I don't go anywhere near it I'm just like <laughs> they're shit I hate them they wear tights I'm not going anywhere near them. yeah so um, other end of the spectrum what is wrong with strength and conditioning um, I think there's a lot of people not coaching, but have ideas of what they think coaches should be doing. There's, I, I would say there's some really good coaches out there that you don't hear of because they're coaching in the trenches, I guess people call it. But there's also a lot of fucking people on Twitter saying stuff that you actually think if you went in and tried and applied that, it might necessarily not work. And that's that's my one of my biggest pet hates at the moment is people giving their two cents but not actually being part of the industry in terms of a coaching role. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> so that, that'd be my main issue. But I don't have an issue with the way people want to train because that's I would actually say that's part of the beauty of our our industry. The fact that there's so many different ways to do things. Many um, roads lead to Rome. Yeah, exactly. And I've heard you say this: everybody can fall out of the boat. There's loads of different ways to fall out of the boat. It's um, there's it's not you can lift for five reps, you lift for four reps, three reps. You're going to get stronger down the road. You yeah. got to look at your program, what's going to be efficient and productive for your program. Um, but yeah, I'd say my main gripe at the moment is coaches. Well, not even coaches. People thinking that they're SNC experts, but actually, you put them in front of thirty guys that. A fucking knackered got fisted fifty nil at the weekend, <laughs> and trying to get them to do a, a pool session when actually all they want to do is go and eat and then go home. Yeah, that's not that's not anything. Big, uh, big psychological side to it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can probably see a trend running through me that I'm, I'm big on coaching and big on actually getting to know the players. Well, absolutely. You know, like a half decent program coached. To, to an elite level is going to beat an elite program coach half-assed any day of the week. Yeah, definitely. And don't get, do not get me wrong. You can't have somebody that knows fuck all coach a guy just because they like him. That's I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just I'm saying that if you've got the the basis of the education, then right, yeah, fine. You got the qualifications. Go and apply that. Go and do two three years of coaching. I don't care who it is you're coaching, but just go and get in contact with loads of different athletes because not every athlete is the same. And not every athlete is going to like how you coach. So getting to know um, your coaching style. I'm actually going on a um, like a little course with the EIS to do skill acquisition, just how to coach different personalities. And it might be a bit 
namby-pamby and fluffy for some guys, but I put a lot of emphasis on interacting with different types of athletes. So knowing how, looking at certain personalities and seeing when to push, when to pull, how to coach um, is big for me. Very interesting, mate. I'm going to have to uh, steal your notes from that. (laughs) Yeah. So um, give me me three books that you think every S&C coach should read. Um, I'd put a, firstly, I'd start with Joel Jameson's um, MMA conditioning. That was the, the first book that when I, on my second day of my internship at Quinn's, they gave us that book or they recommended us to get it. And just the way that it's written so simply and the way that he exposed, like, yeah, it has an MMA emphasis running through it, um, but the way that he talks about um, all the different energy systems and how to... he. It, Applies it quite practically. I like that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a big fan of that. That's, if anybody was to ask um, my number one book, it would definitely be that. Um, the Science of Running by Steve Magnus. Um, I, I like that. Again, Another great book. He writes, yeah, he, he writes really writes really well. Um, I'm not I'm not one for sitting down and trying to read super training. I mean, that's uh, that's going to be a definitely a reference book. Um, but it's not one that you'd sit down in bed with your missus and have a little read through. Um, <laughs> not if you want to keep her as a missus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and then the other one is um, Mark Ripto's um, Starting Strength. I think that's just for, I mean, I, w- I don't really go back to it now, but just the, the emphasis on, look, squat, bench, deadlift, get into a regular routine, increase your lifts. You don't have to go, just do it gradually. And get used to being under the bar and knowing what that feels like. I like his again. I like his way of writing. I like how how he gets um, intricate and a little, sometimes more um, difficult aspects across in quite a simple way. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. Great book. Although I should say that as a member of uh, the strength and conditioning world, you should be offended at his latest article. <laughs> well, actually, I've. Um, I haven't read a lot of his stuff recently, mainly because I read his his um, his article about your body's lying to you, and then put the said about I don't know whether you read it about if you're a dustbin man and the first day you lift one dustbin, you you come back home and you're absolutely knackered. And that was um, that was John Bros. Oh, was that John? That Bros? was John Bros. Like that that article. Funnily enough, right? That article about your body's lying to you. Yeah. You know, I had a bet on last year to see if I could increase my front squat by 20 kilos in six weeks. And I trained like that. Like I literally trained above 90% six days a week yeah. for six weeks. And it worked. <laughs> like when I, when I felt really shit, I could do more. But I, you know, I think if you're going to train like that in rugby, it's a bad idea just because you have so many unpredictable events that you can't control within a rugby environment that you're going to need that yeah, buffer zone could, yeah. between – Exactly between between what you know you can tolerate and what might happen, you need a little bit of a gap there. The article that I was talking about was one where it was all of the stuff that strength and conditioning coaches within professional sport do. So, for example, maybe movement training or low intensity stuff or like activation work. Basically, anything that wasn't squat, bench, deadlift, or overhead press or power clean. He just slated it and said, you know, S and C coaches don't know what they're doing and. They they need to take one of my workshops. Strangely enough, so that that was the the yes. article that I was talking about. That goes back to my thing of why I don't really see the point in bashing people because you don't know what their environment is. You don't know that that might be working for them. You don't know 
whether they see the guys once a week so they have to get all the weights in and one day they might see them seven times a week and have the luxury of spending time with their athletes so that just it pains me to see people bashing everybody and kind of just diving in. And I'm just like, oh, just chill out, mate. And he seemed, <laughs> he seemed very much like my way or the highway. Yeah. Mate, like I always think, judge people on the results. Yeah, definitely. And it, more so than that, judge people on the results that they get with the slow fat kid. Because, yeah. you know, I've been lucky enough to train a few guys that all you have to do is turn on the lights in the morning and that's it, your job's done. <laughs> yeah, and it's very easy to jump on the... The Sonny Bill Williams bandwagon, that type of athlete, where they're they're like, oh, this guy's this guy's making it, so therefore that's because of me. Well, actually, no, he's got some crazy genetics, and he was always going to make it, whether he dealt with you or not. Oh, mate, he was he was rugby union, rugby league, and uh, yeah. boxing. He's you know high level athlete in all three sports. It's yeah, to say that because he did a bear call here and there, he made it is a different. Yeah. Um, one other book, actually, whilst I'm there, one other book that I've actually enjoyed, which is an S&C book, it's called Sleep Smarter by Sean Stevenson, and um, it's just about the importance of sleep, and yeah. he, he just he talks of it in a, in a very general, for just the general public, but applying it to my athletes, so the, the school guys, because they are, they're expected, they're private school, they're expected to do stuff all the way up until 11 o'clock, and then they've got to get up at 630 they don't actually get a really good sleep pattern. So just educate them on um, how to set up your room to call to make it a sleep haven, I call it. So just making sure that all the lights turned off, you've got um, all your phones away. That's been a, a real interesting book to read. Um, and it, don't get me wrong, it's not the be-all and end-all. And I'm not going to say if you sleep nine hours a day, you're going to be fantastic rugby player. But it's a string to the bow and it'll help you move forward in that ladder. I'm definitely going to uh, check that book out. I've not heard of it before. It's, it's really good. It's, he just gives you 22 steps to change your sleeping pattern. Um, and yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoy guys that can write and get um, interesting stuff across in a fairly simple way so that you can just read it, get it done, apply it, and then move on. Nice. Where can, uh, where can people find you online? Um, oh, jeez. You find me on Twitter. I think it's just... Um, Ed.Lee um, and on Facebook uh, you probably I, I post some interesting stuff you might be interested you might you might not be um, but yeah, no, you yeah. post a lot of good stuff I appreciate it yeah well yeah your sense of humour is probably a bit different to the night <laughs> but, but that, yeah. that's when I've not got my work hat on <laughs> yeah exactly I think that's the problem people only see what, what I post so they just think I'm not working all the time I know that all the Quinns guys probably think that as well. (laughs) Well, cheers for taking part, mate. I really appreciate it. Absolutely no worries, mate. Thanks for having me on. No worries. Cheers.